welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello there and welcome to Great Shot Kid, a show that's been on hiatus for a little while, but we're working to bring back online for you. But uh, welcome. Uh, you know, it's been a long time, but uh, I am here. Uh, my name is John Mills, and I am back with my good friend, uh, Mike Schindler. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing okay. How are you? Oh, pretty good, thanks. And uh, just as a little tease uh, for everybody out there who has been, uh, you know, a, a consistent fan, and you, you might have forgotten that this is in your feed, but it's there. Uh, we're we're giving you a little tease here. This is a little teaser episode, and what we are going to do this week is we are going to share with you two things. One of them is Mike and I are going to discuss our top 10 lists uh, for films of 2018. And we also have a little announcement for you. And uh, I don't know, Mike, should I go ahead and uh, give the little announcement first? Yeah, because the thing's already out there. If oh, yeah, that's right. They might it have is already, it already out there. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, over on another show, another feed here on the Nerd Party called Retro Perspective. And we are embarking on a project on that show where we are going to go, be going back through the year 1994 and looking at the movie releases from that year week by week. And it's a show where we invite everybody to participate by watching along with us and uh, sharing in the discussion, uh, such as we're able to, over there on Retro perspective so head on over there go to the nerdparty.com you can find a whole bunch of great shows there you can find you know time and space about doctor who SETI alpha 3 all about star trek nerd nuptial filibuster which is covering the the film circuits from and and big interviews from all over the world and you can find aggressive negotiations and you can find owl post and you can find uh, over on youtube uh, babble for five which is a show all about discussing uh, Babylon 5, which everybody has. That's a 1990s show that everybody uh, still has great deal of love in their hearts for it. So be sure to go over there, check those shows out, and check out Retro Perspective. So all that song and dance out of the way, Mike. Uh, we did already share our top 10 lists over on the nerdparty.com blog. Uh, I think, I, I don't know if everybody from the Nerd Party was able to participate, but a, a large number of us were able to share our top 10 lists. Yes. And, um, the, you know, something I, I was sharing with you uh, before we started recording, uh, you saw substantially more movies than I did, especially new movies that came out in 2018, yet we still had a little bit of overlap on our top 10s, which I personally find fascinating. Oh, you're just uh, much more uh, selective and uh, and 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 have a much better eye for quality than I do. Or I listen to you talk about movies, and I say, "Hey, Mike, like that one," and then I use you as a, a way to sort of like uh, sniff things out. You're, you're my canary in the coal mine. Oh, well, S- I'm, I'm glad that I could I could be. You're you're a helper. You're a helper, and I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we both had on our top 10 list, and it, like, I, I don't want to just like march through or anything, but something that was actually consistently across everybody's was Spider Man into the Spider Verse, right? And I'm using that as just our, our launching point there 
Because why is it that you think that one made it to everybody's top 10? Because it's awesome. But I mean, but I mean, do you think that, yes, okay, easy answer, but like, do you think that this is the sort of thing where word of mouth from people like us on the nerd party is going to be what sort of vaults this from good hit to beloved classic in years to come? I, I do think that, you know, I, I think that one of the things about this movie is that it is very, very innovative in terms of its style and, and all that good stuff. Um, but it's also extremely relatable, I think, to pretty much everyone. And it's a lot of fun. You know, the the stakes are obviously high. I mean, it's the entire sort of multiverse, which is which is at stake. But they seem small. It's, they seem like the problems of just like a, a high schooler. And uh, I think that uh, it's got a good message. It's fun. It's funny. And it looks beautiful it looks absolutely gorgeous and the sound is is amazing and you know the soundtrack is amazing i mean it, it it's got all of that stuff everything it's a very easy movie to watch and yet you get yeah. a lot out of it and i think the reason why it's going to be considered a classic for years to come is because it's unlike anything you've ever seen literally yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, and, you know, so we we have that overlap, but, you know, your list, why, why don't we go ahead and go through and you can start, do you, do you want to start at number one and go to 10 or do you want to go to number 10 and go, go down to one? Let's start at number 10 and go down to number one. All right. So what did you have at number 10? Uh, my number 10 was Bad Times at the El Royale. Which was substantially higher on my list. All right, then what was uh, your number ten? Uh, my number ten, and this is this is the very important qualifier here, because I I have a feeling that if I had seen just one more movie in the theaters, it wouldn't have made my top ten. Yeah, because I was not as nutso for it as everybody else was, but it was Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah, which sort of gets the default ten slot because. <laughs> I literally saw maybe 14 movies in the theater uh, last year, maybe. And one of those was like Goosebumps 2, which, you know, in good conscience, I can't put it to number 10 spot. Mm -hmm. And Aquaman wasn't making it. So, you know, rock in a hard place, man. Yeah, but Avengers Infinity War was really good. It's good. Yes, I agree that it's good. I, I, I enjoyed it beginning to finish, and I had a good time in the theater. But I, it wasn't... Let, let's just say it's not something that I felt compelled to go and watch again, nor do I own it on digital media. and uh, Which, of course, you know, it's on Netflix, so who cares? But like, it's one of those things where I haven't felt compelled to rewatch it. It, I kind of got what I needed out of the first showing. Yeah, I've seen it twice. And the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. This is a lot of fun. I, you know, I, This is a solid movie. And then you know, I got to the end, and I was kind of like, I, I, there was so much stuff that was happening in that movie that I basically don't even remember any of it. And you know, it feels like 
there was just so much that you couldn't focus on any one thing. And because of that, I sort of put it off to the side. And I rewatched it um, when they released it as part of that Marvel marathon thing, the Marvel Film Festival or whatever that they did in IMAX uh, in the, during like a week in September when there were no other movies coming out. And uh, seeing it that time, I had pretty much the same reaction. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I don't know why I was, not that I was down on it. I never thought it was a bad movie, but I was like, this is really a lot of fun. And then I got to the end of it that time, and I'm like, ah, you know, now that I know where it's going, I appreciate it more as like its own thing, and blah blah blah. And yet, still, I've pretty much just sort of dismissed it and put it off to the side again. I mean, I'm going to watch it again, you know, probably relatively soon because uh, I need to show it to my family. But um, it it did not blow me away, and I, I mean, I think a big part of it is this thing which is really not the movie's fault at all but just the idea of like I remember the night that it came out you know everyone of course on the nerd party was talking on slack afterwards and people were like it was heartbreaking oh my god it was so emotional and and stuff and my thought was just like but but they've already announced these people are going to be in sequels like how do you know it's not they're not dead Spoilers for a movie which isn't out yet. I mean, you know what I yeah. mean? And because of that, because and I know that, like, you know, that and the point that a lot of people on the nerd party made was like, in the moment, it works. Like, you know how movies work. So, yes, you know they're not dead. Obviously, everyone knows they're not dead, but you can still appreciate that moment. And for me, I just couldn't. I just I could only see the the outside. I could only see the like I don't I don't buy that this person is dead because they have a multi-picture contract. You, you know what I mean? Yes, and I think that's the curse of the fact that we live in an age where so much of that is known and announced ahead of time. Yeah. It it would have been nice not to know that. I do fall on the side that I I thought that one of the strongest parts of it is that it manages to be self-contained. And I, I, I've i gotten into sort of like pitched verbal battle with another member of the nerd party, uh, Matthew Rushing, about this. But it, it, it has an ending. Yeah, it does. This would, be, this would be the most downer of an ending imaginable for the Avengers, for the Marvel Universe. But it is an ending. It is a self-contained storyline that they could end here and say, this is it for Avengers movies and we're going to address everything else in spinoffs or Iron Man movies or Spider-Man movies or whatever. And I'd be fine with that. Like it, it, it actually wrapped up. And I, would, and I think that that's one of its strongest parts is I went into it terrified that it was going to have a Matrix Reloaded ending. Mm-hmm. Right? Or a Back to the Future Part 2 ending, where it's like, yuck, 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 come back in six months. It's like, screw you. Screw you and the horse you rode in on. Like, this actually was a self-contained film, and I I have to give it credit for that. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, uh, I was working at a movie theater when it came out, and I think we kind of see things through our you know, the nerd eyes, because that's how we are. And we think like, that's how the world sees things. And it's really not like there were 
numerous people who were coming out of that movie who apparently don't listen to the nerd party, but I'm guessing they're also not on Slash Film or any of these other places. They do not know that Spider-Man 2 is coming out this summer or anything like that. And they're like, wow, they just killed everybody. That's a really weird ending. And I'd be like, yeah, well, I mean, but you know, like Avengers 4 comes out next summer, right? And they're like, they do? It does? See, I told yeah. you, I told you that that's not how they were going to end it. You know, I mean, like, this is like, right. you know, and it's like, ah, I'm so jealous of them. Yeah. You know, right. We know too much. <laughs> right. But right. it's just, it's just like, uh, and, I, and I know I talked about this over on Retro Perspective, too, but it's just like Empire Strikes Back. Back in 1980, you didn't know mm-hmm. there was going to be a return of the, like, what? It just ended. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, like, and you're distraught. Han Solo, what happened? You know, that sort of thing. And it's a different approach knowing that something is is coming next. The other thing which I, I think is cool about it is, you know, like, I, this is just a thing that I do. I've always done this. I don't know why, but it, it's a thing that I do is I always try to figure out who the singular protagonist of the movie mm-hmm. is, who the main character is, the one person. And I was watching this, trying to figure it out, and it got to the end, and I'm like, oh, it's Thanos. Well, that's yep. interesting. And I was talking about this with uh, my Film Damage co-host, Max, and he's like, yeah, no, you watch the movie, and it's really interesting because it is the quintessential sort of hero's journey story, but it's Thanos who's going on the hero's journey and like all of this terrible stuff happens, but he completes his journey. Like it, it it follows that structure perfectly, but for a bad guy. And that's really interesting because you never really see anyone do that. Yeah. Which uh, can carry its own message of, you know, uh, good intentions. Yeah. The road to hell being paved with them and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm going to save the universe. The only way I know how to do it is to kill everyone. Well, maybe we could discuss method. Yeah. You know, like that, that sort of thing. Um, so, so we're talking yeah. about this movie like, ah, oh, it's not very good and uh, wouldn't have made either of our top 10 lists if we had seen more movies and everything. But then we just spent like the last half hour talking about it. So what does that say? That's, that's a really good point. But I will say that your number 10, Bad Times at the El Royale, also featuring Chris Hemsworth. So, yeah. you know, hey, he was in two, two top 10 list movies. Um, I, I adored it. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you know, what was your experience with it? How, you know, when, when you saw it, was this a movie that you got to see opening night or what, what were the circumstances around it? I saw this at a, uh, a movie theater convention. <laughs> Um, after a day where I had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and drive three hours to the middle of nowhere and go through like a day's worth of like seminars and whatever's and all the rest of it and walk the show floor and have dinner and all this stuff. And then at the end, they're like, and now bad times at the El Royale. And I'm like, okay, it's 11 o'clock at night. I've been up for, I don't know, <laughs> 17 hours at this point. I've really, really, really wanted to see this movie, so there's no way I'm going home, and yet I really, really hope I don't fall asleep. 
And I was riveted. I did not fall asleep once. <laughs> I was yeah. on the edge of my seat the whole time. And I kept on thinking, like, this is such an interesting structure. And, you know, the, uh, the, the photography is great. The performances are great. And, you know, the, the, the way that the story is told, like, you really have no idea what's going to happen next. You have no idea where it's going. And I think that's what everyone hopes for when they watch a movie, right? Is to yeah. you know, keep on wondering what's going to happen next. And I, I just thought it was so inventive and so well done. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. Co- completely agree. Uh, this was a date night with uh, the missus. And um, my my theater-going experience was great. I I adored the movie. I loved it. It Obviously, it, it made it to my top ten list, too. But um, I will never forget the hero that sat on the other side of my wife because there was we, – we were sitting. You know, you, you got the recliner seats. And then if you pick a certain row, it's like the walking row. Yeah. So you get even more leg space so you can really stretch out. Yeah, yeah. And then you got that other row, you know, that first row after. And there was somebody – on their phone and at one point the the guy sitting next to my wife goes get off your phone like loud like <laughs> and the phone goes off and then the phone came up again and the guy turns over and he's he, he knew that we were eating popcorn and he points at the bag he goes can i have your pop- popcorn bag real quick and uh and my wife passes it to him, and he grabs a handful. He goes, thanks. And he passes it back to us, and he starts beaning the guy with popcorn <laughs> when the phone came back up. And it's like, turn off your phone. Turn off your phone. And I like, I, I heard, you know, I saw an American flag behind him with, like, patriotic music because I don't know his name, but that man was a hero. He was an absolute hero because I, I was just doing my thing where, like, you know, you raise the knee to block the phone light sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But he was taking a stand for the common man, Mike, and I salute him. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very sort of, you know, passive when it comes to that stuff. And I'm just kind of like, um, let me not say anything and just hope that it gets better. But, you know, I'm too yeah. too shy to actually complain and... I, I just don't want to get stabbed uh, yeah. or, or anything. You know, you, you never know who the nut job is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, eh, you know, I, I'm playing the odds on that one. It's like, I'll, I'll live with it if I have to sort of thing. Yeah. So, but if somebody else is, is willing to risk that, more power to you. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So uh, that, that was number 10. Uh, what did you have at number nine? Number nine for me is RBG, which is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary uh, yeah. that um, played in theaters and also aired on CNN, I think, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I thought that this movie was great. I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it at home. I, I watched it because On the Basis of Sex was coming out, so I figured I, I needed to see this one first. And uh, I, I was really kind of blown away from it, blown away by it. I... I documentaries just in general I seem to like really respond to which makes me wonder why I don't watch a lot more of them you know they're always intriguing to me and and this was no exception and I I think one of the things which uh, was so cool about it was that it really sort of tapped into uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's I think persona in a lot of ways and the idea that even though she's like 85 years old or whatever, like, you know, she still has more, you know, energy and, and drive than 
than the rest of us. And it was really inspiring. And uh, yeah, I, I was I was a big fan. Highly recommend it. My question is, I too enjoy documentaries. Is this more of a Michael Moore documentary or a Werner Herzog documentary? <laughs> I, I mean, um, I would not put it in either of those camps. I would say... Uh, Okay, um, let me think of a of a comparable thing. Um, I would say, boy, it's not either of those things at all. Well, the 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 reason I bring those names up is, uh, I think the term documentary is very loosely applied to Michael Moore's movies, mm-hmm. whereas Werner Herzog, I think, I consider him the gold standard standard of a documentarian because. It's like his worldview and his opinion about whatever. He's he's just like completely dispassionate about it. He just presents the material and then says, and this is the story and this is what happened. Goodbye. Like that, that's sort of the thing. Like I, I respond better to his stuff because he's he's so clinical in how he approaches stuff. So I just didn't know, is this a clinical approach to her life or is this more of a cheer piece about her life i would say it's more of a cheer piece about her life but i don't see like michael moore's documentaries as being like cheer pieces i see them as being sort of like you know agitprop is the word you're looking for. sure yeah yeah there 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 are things which are pointing out you know wrongs whereas this movie is pointing out a right you know what i mean okay yeah, I look for. I, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to be checking it out. I, I just didn't get a chance to. Um, I mean, for Pete's sake, my my number ten was by default. So <laughs> it's you know. on like Hulu and stuff, I think, and probably like on the CNN app or whatever. I, you know, it's it's out there. It's it's pretty easy to find these days. So. If it doesn't show up on the home screen of Netflix, I tend to miss it. So you know, yeah. that's just how I am. Yeah, you know, I own it. Uh, well, my number nine was uh, Halloween. Hmm which is different than the Halloween that was released before or the Halloween that was released originally. The direct sequel to Halloween. Unlike the other direct sequel to Halloween. Or the other direct sequel to the original Halloween. Yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. In See, case the anybody's that, that, confused. Uh, you assume that I was talking about that one makes, I mean, it's just it just illustrates the point. Yes, <laughs> it sure does, doesn't it, Mike? Yeah. This is a movie that makes my number nine. I had a good time. I was happy with the way it developed. Um, some of the humor I thought was not timeless um, and was, but also I think I, I would like to think I'm wise enough to realize that some of what I was responding to was because I didn't, maybe, I, maybe I've gotten uh, to the age where there's a little bit of those darn kids reaction burgeoning up, you know, inside sort of thing. But this is a movie where I'm actually, I like nervous isn't the right word, but I'll just use it where I'm nervous to revisit it because this is, you know, this is the direct sequel to the original Halloween. Ignore everything that came out since, even though you spent your whole life watching it, John, and you know it backwards and forwards, and you can even find the the room in your heart to defend Halloween 6, so long as we're talking about the producer's cut and not the theatrical cut. And 
so I I really liked a lot of what they did, um, but I'm super curious as to what my reaction is going to be when I see it again on home video, because I will, and I'm going to be really really curious as to how that plays for me, especially because I think they sort of botched the presentation when I saw it, but you know whatever. I uh, you know I I I'm not as huge of a Halloween fan as you are uh, by any stretch of the imagination but I do enjoy the original and I do enjoy the Rob Zombie movies and and all that stuff so I was definitely looking forward to this one especially you know given you know the people involved and and everything and I mean it did not blow me away like I guess I was kind of hoping it would but I did enjoy it quite a bit I haven't really felt the need to revisit it anytime soon but um if i if i do i'm sure i'll enjoy watching it again so uh we come to number eight on your list number eight on my list is creed 2 creed 2 which is a movie i wanted to see very much but didn't get a chance to which was heartbreaking to me I mean, I, I've always kind of enjoyed the the Rocky movies, even if they, I, I liked the idea of what they are more than the actual movies. I think uh, this one, I think, is it might even be better than the original Creed. It probably not, but there's a lot of like really really interesting stuff on it going on in it. It's it's very much sort of a rehash of of what has come before. As these movies kind of have to be, there's only so many ways a boxing match can end, right? Yes, but, true. But I think that it's really, really, really well done. And again, I mean, the music is fantastic. Uh, the, the photography is fantastic. Michael B. Jordan's performance is great. Uh, by the way, the music, it's uh, by the guy who's doing the music for The Mandalorian. So uh, that's cool. Well, we- Gorenson, he did the music for the first one too. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Black Panther. Oh, he's I I think I think he's magnificent. I love yeah. his music. He's he's great, and I'm very excited that he's doing the music for the Mandalorian. Yeah, me too. Me too. The music in this is fantastic. You know, Tessa Thompson. Uh, she even gets to sing on a couple a couple tracks, and, and sweet, they're, they're great. So definitely, if you are a fan of any of the other Rocky movies. I think you'll like this one. And one of the things which I kind of love about it more than anything is that it really is Rocky for a new generation. But it's not a reboot. It's not, you know, any of these things. It's just the next step. And, you know, working at a movie theater when the first one came out and everything, you could see it. You could see, like, these kids, these teenagers who had no idea what a Rocky was going into this movie and loving it the same way that we loved Rocky when we were their age. And right. it's it's not trying to capture what Rocky was on a nostalgic level, even though it completely does that, it's trying to capture what Rocky was in the 70s and translate that into what it should be today. And I love it. I also love, of course, I mean, because, I mean, just all any time that movies do these things, it's great. But just the idea of like, yes, this little movie from the 70s about a boxer that was made for basically no money and somehow blew up now 40 years later has a sequel where that character is recontextualized as this other thing. And it's fantastic. 
yeah, I uh, I hope to see Creed 2 as soon as it's available for streaming, um, which I imagine is going to be very shortly. But speaking of streaming, my number eight was a movie where, uh, and I've made this joke before, somebody read my dream journal and noticed uh, that uh, in my top ten list of things that I love, uh, Kurt Russell, Santa Claus, and Christmas were all in the top ten. And they said, you know what? Let's make a movie for you. And uh, I, I, Christmas Chronicles wound up being a brand new, the, the whole family watched it. And I, we're all sold. I think it's, yeah. I even though, I know again that you know the qualifier. I, I didn't see many movies or anything. So would this have made it had I seen more movies? It's possible that it would have because I think there's so much charm in every moment of the Christmas Chronicles that like I wish I could watch it on the big screen. Because I had so I had such a good time and such a good response to it, and I think it it does what you're not not in exactly the same way or anything, but it does the similar sort of thing with like Creed, where this is essentially a character there have been tons of movies about. We're familiar with this. We're familiar with the doubting journey. We're familiar with what the kids have to do, where the guys have to go, what ha- what needs to happen. But it gives it a thoroughly modern treatment, uh, with the exception of the anachronistic scene seemingly lifted out of Adventures in Babysitting, which was directed by Chris Columbus, uh, where they wind up in a chop shop, which is, I don't know, just a very 80s criminal sort of enterprise, where like it just seemed, it seemed like they said, eh, I worked in Adventures in Babysitting. Okay. Like, that's just the one chord that that struck me as funny but you know you know in adventures and babysitting there's like the one kid who's wearing like his high school like team jacket or whatever yep that, uh that is that is anthony rap yeah well yeah. that that jacket is uh that's that's my high school jacket <laughs> oh really no yeah, kidding because the the movie is i guess theoretically the kids are supposed to be from oak park illinois Oh yeah, and they're like going into the city, you know. Which is anyway. So that is my my high school jacket. So there you go. All that to say, I think Christmas Chronicles was absolutely delightful. And any scene that has the actor who played Elvis for John Carpenter playing Santa Claus, singing with famous musicians, I mean, how can you not fall in love with it? So yeah, I too love Kurt Russell and Santa Claus and Christmas. And Christmas movies in particular, but I have not had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, but but I will. Oh, I hope I I hope I haven't built it up too much. I really do hope I haven't no, built it up too much. No, no, no. So. It's all good. It's all good. All right, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. So that brings us to number seven on the list. Number seven for me is Bumblebee. Bumblebee, which is sort of a Transformers reboot, just as they've decided to throw away the connected universe. A Transformers story, yes. And, yeah, yeah. I, 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 this is the movie we've been waiting for as Transformers fans. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard. Going back to all the G one stuff and everything like that, 
and you know the first fight on uh, on on Cybertron, and then you see Optimus Prime and everything, and they all look like you remember them looking, and they sound like you remember them sounding, and then you get to Earth, and it really just becomes like E.T., but it's this really heartwarming story about a girl and her robot, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So much fun. Rocking soundtrack, all the rest of it. I I really would like to see it. I wound up seeing Into the Spider-Verse with the kids instead of Bumblebee because that's, that's just what that's worked fine. with the schedule. That's fine. So, that's perfectly reasonable and acceptable. Yeah. Uh, my number seven wound up being another Marvel movie, uh, but one that I thought was truly deserving of being on my top ten regardless of anything else, uh, Black Panther, because I think that... Um, if we're talking about it in terms of a Marvel movie, it's the first one that I saw exert real effort to establish a fictional world as believable as opposed to the other Avengers and Marvel movies, which basically, like the Marvel comics, are here's New York City and you know how that works. I believed that Wakanda existed during this film. I totally bought into it. I bought into the mythos. I bought into the character. I bought into what needed to happen. And it, if I was a Ryan, Coo- if I wasn't a Ryan Coogler fan before this movie, I would be now. If I wasn't a Michael Jordan fan before this, Michael B. Jordan fan before this movie, I would be now. The cast is stellar, and I thought it was just the you know the only thing I would ever ding on it was the the effects did not sustain themselves through the course of the film but as we all know effects don't make a movie effects are good or bad but that doesn't make or break a movie and so i i just think black panther was was terrific i had a great time watching it and it's it's the marvel movie i remembered from 2018 like it you know did you see a marvel movie yeah i saw black panther oh yeah infinity war came out too like it it overshadowed infinity war to me yeah uh you know this movie is going to get nominated for best picture which uh, i think is is super crazy in a good way you know because i mean that just doesn't happen and the thing about it like it did not make my top 10 list i i enjoyed it a lot but it it was not um anywhere near you know one of my 10 favorite movies of the year that being said like the the cultural impact of this movie is so massive like it's changing movies it's changing tons and tons and tons of stuff and all for the better and you 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 see people coming out of the theater just in awe and it's so inspiring and because of that i mean you you have to give it the credit that it's getting because it is by far the most culturally significant movie of the year and you know probably of the decade it's insane yeah 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 uh so that takes us up to number 6 so uh what was your number 6 uh my number 6 was black clansman 
the I wish I'd had a chance to see it. Spike Lee joint. It's on Netflix now. Or not Netflix, iTunes. It's on iTunes oh, it is? now. Oh, yeah, okay, good. I know they're selling it for ten bucks, so they must you must be able to rent it for like ninety nine cents. I don't know. I'm guessing. But yeah. regardless, check it out because it's great. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's based on a true story and all that. I mean, it's such a a crazy story to think that that this was real. Uh, but the performances and everything, I mean, they're so great. And the, the writing, it's so much, in a way, fun to watch, even though it's dealing with such a, such a, I mean, really sort of uh, dark and like bleak subject. Right. But then just the way that it's able to sort of like tie everything that we're seeing into what's going on today and everything like that, it really sort of like brings that point home. And it's it's very like stirring. It's very it, it really you, you leave the theater with just kind of kind of like with a, a sense of of unease as you should. And yet it's still incredibly watchable. Like, it's not the type... I mean, you leave the theater feeling, like, on, on a very somber note, and yet you want to watch it again because you had such a good time watching it, in a sense. That's, yeah, no, but but that, that totally fits with me because I think that that's one of uh, Spike Lee's greatest strengths when he when it, when everything's firing on all cylinders for him. Uh, like I think of, um, you know, it's easy to point to like Inside Man, but like Summer of Sam, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, Summer of Sam is the same. Like it's dealing with a topic and a time period and everything like that. That's really grim where it's like, oh, oh, this this is a true story. Well, it's historical fiction, but it's based on, rea- you know, real things that happened. And it's still compellingly watchable like you you're entertained the whole time and i th- I think he's a like I, I i look forward to seeing it basically yeah um so yeah, yeah I think, I, i'm I i'm primed it. for it yeah. cool cool uh my number six was uh a steven soderbergh movie yeah unsane yeah. which uh which i really really enjoyed <laughs> i uh I just I thought like th- there was so much about it where it was it caught me off guard um and I really think that uh his whole decision to direct with the iPhone um made him able to take this genre and get the camera in places that conveyed uh like an emotional unease visually that like we're we're all used to the thriller and we're used to the twists and we're and I think that's the reason it's able to catch you off guard is the camera is in these places that you you don't expect it to be and so it helps keep you off balance uh, through the movie and I, I thought the performances were were great um, and just it was so unexpected and clever and original uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, you know, schlocky exploitation horror stuff, but uh, it's very, very intriguing. It's kind of uh, freaky in, in, in a real world sense in terms of, you know, the fact that 
maybe maybe you can be institutionalized just because someone wants to collect some insurance money you know i mean like that's right kind of the way the system is set up it's 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 kind of scary on like a practical real world level beyond the uh the horror elements which are which are in it which are also very strong and yeah the the iphone thing is just cool just the idea that it's like you know this oscar-winning director is going to shoot a movie with a device that you carry around with you in your pocket, it really is kind of inspiring in that way to say, like, yeah, anyone can make a movie. Just go out and do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And his next iPhone shot movie, High Flying Bird, comes out on Netflix on February 8th. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait for that. And I I, I think it's so, it's so cool, too, because... You know, one of the reasons that that movie studios don't want to release things or don't want to fund things is, oh, the cost, oh, the cost. And he's basically being a change driver, showing how you can make these movies for, I mean, the equipment overhead is, you know, he's striking down, you know, like he's he's moving that forward substantially and less crew easier shooting circumstances, tighter turnaround times. That's got to be music to a studio's ears, you know? Yeah, I mean, he posted a photo photo on Twitter uh, the day that High Flying Bird wrapped, and he's like, principal photography ended at 3.52 p.m. And, like, you could see he took a shot of, like, his, his laptop on a train, and he's like, finished editing the first cut at 7.43 p.m., you know, I mean, you you don't have to wait for anything. You can just do it all by yourself on a train while you're on your way home from shooting, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to number five. What did you have at number five? Number five for me was Bodied, uh, which is a movie, a small movie, which uh, didn't really get a big release, and it was then released on YouTube, the premium YouTube or whatever, and uh, it's directed by this guy, Joseph Kahn, who is kind of oh, yeah. known for making a lot of, uh, well, music videos he's made. At this point, probably thousands, hundreds if not thousands of music videos. Uh, and for people like Taylor Swift and Eminem and all that stuff. And this is a movie about battle rap. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, like hearing him talk about one of the things that he said, you know, because it's it's in a lot of ways similar to Eight Mile. A lot of people are comparing it to Eight Mile. Um, Khan said uh, Eight Mile was about whether or not a white guy could rap. Bodied is about whether or not a white guy should rap. And <laughs> I saw this at a screening with Khan in attendance, and and most of the cast was there too. And it was like one of those sort of like, well, I guess I was kind of the, you know, whatever. I, I, I got duped into buying a, a full price ticket or whatever, whereas like everyone else in the theater like <laughs> got in for free. But whatever, you know, I got a good seat, so I'm not going to complain. Um, cool, cool. But like the crowd was so into it. Like this movie is so much fun because, I mean, it's just, it's it's like a sports movie, but also, you know, 
kind of like an artistic thing with these people who are like writing these these things like on the fly which are just kind of like insane and it's funny it's uh, you but the climax is like the most tense experience you'll ever see and it's like it's not like there's a physical threat right the threat all comes from like human interaction and people literally just talking to each other and yet you you are like digging your nails into you know the armrest because it's so incredibly tense and it's fascinating i mean (laughs) and it has a lot to say about just society and life and people and their interactions and everything and uh, it does not shy away from anything. I mean, one one quote which which Khan said at some point, which I think is very apt, is you know like, um, if you don't know who this movie is making fun of, then it's making fun of you. And oh, <laughs> and I admire that. It, it's like I, the other thing is he's like it offends everybody, and it's true. You know, like something in there will offend everybody. And yet they don't shy away from it at all. And it's not there to offend. Well, maybe it is there to offend, but it's not there just to offend. It's there to make a point. And it does so really, really, really well. I can't recommend this movie highly enough. I think YouTube has like one of those things where it's like free trial, sign up for a week and, you know, whatever. Sign up for the free trial and watch this. And even if you forget to cancel and they charge you for a month, it's worth it. Because, you know, that's like the price of a movie ticket or whatever. And, and this is definitely worth the price of a movie ticket. Definitely check out awesome. Bodied. It's great. I, I, I will add that to my list uh, for sure, actually. Um, I'm going to blow past uh, my number five, which is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we already talked about because yeah. of its crossover and its appeal and everything. And uh, that brings us to number four. And your number four was? Widows. Uh, which is the new movie by Steve McQueen. Um, this is a movie about corruption and politicians and all the rest of it. It's about uh, th- these guys who are career criminals who uh, they lose and they all get killed. And now their wives, their widows, are on the hook for the, the money that they owe their employers and yeah. the, the what what the widows decide to do in order to uh reclaim their lives in a lot of ways and it, it's it works as like this little tense thriller but it goes beyond that and talks about you know this sort of like institutional corruption and everything and it, it's 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 so well made. It, it, it the thing that I, I keep on thinking is it reminds me of Ron Howard's Ransom, you know. Oh, that's high praise yeah. because I remember that caught everybody off guard. And Ransom, that was darn good. Yeah, that was a darn good movie. That being said, it's way better than Ransom. Even higher praise. Yes. And also, as a Chicagoan, I, I will say, you know, for years and years and years, I've been saying that. Uh, the Fugitive is the most accurate representation of the city of Chicago on film. If you want to know what Chicago is like, the real Chicago, watch The Fugitive. I will now say that that is no longer true. Widows 
more than any other movie captures what Chicago is like. Just on a, I'm talking purely on a realistic level. I'm not talking about like what it's saying about the state of the city. What I'm saying is like, if you watch Widows and like the feeling, like the aesthetic of, of the city and the way that people talk about it and the locations that they go to and everything like that, like that is, if you've never been to Chicago, that's what it's like right there. Widows. Cool. That's awesome. Um, my, uh, my number four uh, winds up being Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, well, that's higher on my list. So, Well, that uh, I can tell you that it's not bad to be in the number four slot. I, I can honestly say because of the limited number of movies that I saw, the ones that I passionately loved are the top five. Right, those are the ones that I came out of the theater on fire and in love with. <laughs> yeah. And Mission Impossible Fallout, I... I cannot recall the last time I went to an action movie in the theater, and I had the good fortune to see this in the Dolby uh, Theater at uh, AMC Disney, which just, I, I was, I was, like, my blood pressure was spiking during this movie. Like, I was, I was writhing in my seat. I was like, oh my God, he's going to get, ah! like, I, and, and I had a, a legitimate concern. I recently rewatched it because, uh, my friend shares his uh, his digital copy stuff with me, so I have access to his account. And I, I was like, oh, wow, Fallout's in there. He's like, yeah, enjoy. So I turned it on, and I was like, you know, I'll have it on in the background or something, you know, just pff, whatever. You know, I'm sure it's not going to be as good, you know, on a smaller screen. But wow, wow, does it hold up. It is, it is so well-structured, so perfectly paced, and so such a case of the the plot itself is nothing spectacular but man, you, you know, it's sort of like the it's sort of like the whole thing of like it doesn't matter if you've heard the joke before or if somebody tells it right you're still going to laugh yeah christopher McQuarrie, so far as i'm concerned can just write his own check at this point <laughs> i i don't care whether it's another mission impossible movie i don't care what he wants to make i'll if he wants to if, if the studio wants to like poll people and be like, will you give us your ticket money now in exchange for us making this movie? If we can give you, give you a seat on opening. Yes, I, I will pay that money now. <laughs> I will do the down payment because never mind the fact that Cruz is doing all of these crazy stunts, which he does. And everybody makes the jokes. Oh, he's got a death wish. Oh, I can't believe he did that. Oh, he got rated for a halo jump. That's crazy. The simple fact is that Macquarie and his team figured out how to show it to me in such a way that I understood and appreciated what was going on. And it is, especially in an era of nonstop digital trickery, to know that somebody sat down with their production manager and their designers and their their cameramen and everybody and said, okay, we got to figure out how to do this. And they did. That speaks to somebody who has a, who can assemble a crew that wants to do those things for him. So, like, just tons of praise for Mission Impossible Fallout. I saw something on Twitter, you know, where some someone was saying, like, "Hey, you know, for the scenes like the 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 uh, jump out of the airplane, you know, where, where they're they're skydiving, um, 
you know, you shot that with like the the frame like opens up for IMAX and you opened up to like the aspect ratio of like 1.89 to 1 whatever it is, 1.9, whatever it is. Um, you know, did you consider going to the full aspect ratio and framing it for like 1.43 to 1 instead? And McQuarrie's like, we were literally thousands of feet in the air. It was absolute chaos. <laughs> like, yes. We were not thinking about what the frame was going to look like for a specific aspect ratio. Like, that's that's what they were doing. They were jumping out of airplanes. They were breaking ankles. They were doing whatever they needed to do to get that movie made, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, yeah. that's the whole thing where, like, you know, with because, of course, this is the movie, this is the reason why Henry Cavill uh, needed to uh, have his mustache digitally erased for Justice League, right? For Justice League reshoots that were arguably... The entire movie. Well, arguably unnecessary. Do we really want to go down that road? But yes, that's why he had to digitally erase his mustache. Right, and a lot of people were like, hey, how come you couldn't just let him shave the mustache and then like, you know, have him wear a fake mustache or whatever? And it's like... Tom Cruise learned how to fly a helicopter so that they could, you know, get yeah. a shot. Like, then you're going to ask Henry Cavill to wear a fake mustache? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, like, probably, like, the request came in where it was like, could Henry shave his mustache and put a fake one on? And Cruise probably looked at the note, crumpled it up, and ate it. <laughs> it was like, there's your answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just relentless. The, the The movie is just, you know, it starts up and it does not stop for, you know, two and a half hours or whatever. It's and I, so I, well I can also I can also say that um, as much as I as much as I found parts of the score. Oh, that sounds like, you know, that sounds a little bit like Dark Knight. That sounds a little bit like. Uh, 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 Tron Legacy, or like, there's definitely a Zimmer influence to the score. I, I like, I couldn't imagine different music for it. Like that stairs and rooftop cue, where Tom Cruise basically runs the entire length of London in three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like that music, like the, the the musical cues. If you listen just to the score of Fallout on its own, you get tense. You un- you really understand the, the role that music plays in manipulating your emotions in those moments. And uh, so, yeah, all, all that to say, maybe it does deserve to be high on the list. I don't know because boy, did I just gush about it. Yeah, um, that, that score is the best of the year too. So there you go. Debatable, debatable, but it's definitely in the conversation. Uh, so, what's number three for you? Number three is Vice, the Dick Cheney movie uh, directed by Adam McKay. McKay, you know, he's kind of taken a turn in his career with the uh, the Big Short and uh, some other mm-hmm. things uh, of a similar uh, quality. And the Big Short, I mean, was was a great movie a few years back. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I thought that that was so well done. And Vice is very much sort of in that style. I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily as good as the Big Short, but it really does sort of paint an interesting portrait of this character. And Christian Bale's performance is, you know, transformative. I mean, he's doing what Bale does, right? Yeah. And yeah. uh, he does it so well. Uh, so I definitely highly recommend Vice. Yeah. Uh, I want to see it. I've wanted to see it. 
uh, but you know, time and everything. And I, I think it's not playing at very convenient show times for me because <laughs> they have they had they had to put Mary Poppins Returns on. 16 screens yep mary poppins so. aquaman bumblebee and spider-man are all on 75 screens each so that leaves yeah a half a screen for vice <laughs> right yeah they rotate vice in at the 11 at the 11 p.m show yep. or something like that um uh for me for number three uh i went to a quiet place oh. um yeah uh i i think it's magnificent um i think everything from uh, the creature design to the sound design, which I know is fun. Oh, but it's a movie where nobody can talk. But everything, the sound design, the creature design, the 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 script, like the performances, I just I consider it a, uh, a just an absolutely wonderful film. If I were to adv- advise Krasinski, because apparently there's going to be a sequel, and he's being cagey about whether he's going to direct the sequel, I would, if I were in his corner, advise him against directing the sequel specifically because you're not going to catch lightning in a bottle. Like the, I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong, but I would, I look at a quiet place as wow. All the tumblers lined up. Don't push your luck. Go to a different type of project. That sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I, th- I think that, um, you know that that brings us to uh, two, which Spider Man into the Spider Verse for you, and uh, for me was Bad Times at the El Royale, both of which we've spoken about before. Yeah, and then we get to your number one, which is Mission which Impossible is, Fallout. Yeah, which we we yeah. both loved, and my number one came in, and I I I never know how the conversation's gonna go, <laughs> never know how the conversation's gonna go. But my number one was Solo, a Star Wars story, which is the uh, movie I saw enough in the movie theater that probably I could have seen more movies if I hadn't seen repeat showings of Solo. But I uh, fell in love with it. I'm still in love with it. Uh, Before we started recording, I actually turned it on and started watching it. Uh, I I watched it when it was released um, digitally, and then I... Uh, watched it when it was released on disc and then I just watched it again. I'm just starting to watch it again. And I, it's, I love so much about it. Are there things that in the, you know, in the first reel could have been better? Yes, absolutely. But I think that it is, I'm reading the, the art of book right now. And it's just, it's, it's the movie where the, the art direction, the, the pacing, the, everything just captured my heart. Um, and not just because it's a Star Wars movie. Because, you know, Rogue One and, uh, you know, Force Awakens had a rough enough time. This isn't, it's not a given that I'm going to love a Star Wars movie. Right? I just want to establish that as a baseline. Force Awakens had a hard enough time, you know, wheedling into my heart, but it did. Uh, Rogue One, I'm still, you know, it's a good movie. Uh, I'm still not nuts about it. It's good. Uh, Last Jedi, same thing. It's a good movie, but I'm not nuts about it. You know, all of that stuff. Solo is the first one, first one of these Star Wars movies since Revenge of the Sith where I walked out of the theater and said, I can't believe how much I enjoyed that. So there you go. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very good movie. Um, it didn't didn't make my list. Um, I would say that it's my least favorite of all of the the live action Star Wars movies. Because um, I feel of like all it's, of them. What? Of all of them? Yes. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> because it feels no, like no, the least a... significant of all of them. You know, it feels like. I was because because when I watched it, I was like, that was a good movie. Whereas like every other Star Wars movie, I was like, this means something to my life. You know what I mean? Hmm. And uh, this one, I'm just like, ah, that was fun. Hey, it wasn't that much fun. It was fun. Not that much fun. You know what I mean? Viva la difference. Yeah. But uh, I I mean, I I did like it a lot. You know, I've seen it a, a billion times as well. You know, I, I watched it uh, just a few weeks ago with my family. I showed it to them. And they all got a kick out of it. You know, my aunt was like, I think that might be my favorite of all of them. You know, I, I, I think it's gorgeous looking, right? And, and it's, that it is. It's, it's funny and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but it feels like just a movie, whereas the other movies feel like a piece of the canon. See, I consider this to be in that piece of the canon category because I think that um, Solo uh, performed a very important uh, role and one that I've, I've pondered about since where it actually improved The Force Awakens for me. I actually like The Force Awakens more now because of Solo uh, because I think they would be a magnificent double feature to watch. Um, because you get Han at the beginning and Han at the end, and I think that there's a, a great through line in there, um, you know, with, with meeting Beckett and meeting his first love, and, you know, he gave her the dice, but he didn't give Leia the dice, so there's a whole symbol. Like, I, I think it enriches the character uh, and all of that that sort of stuff. But, you know, I, like, I, I, I get it, you know? Like... It's not. It's not always going to hit everybody in the same way. But I, I think that um, even more so than because you know you look at it in terms of eras and stuff like that. Like I just love the the art design on you know the 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 art direction the the design. I think the effects are. I think it is obvious that the effects team that worked on this was. You know, when I look at Infinity War and I point to inconsistent effects efforts or Black Panther where I look at some sequences and I'm like, oh, they farmed that out to somebody overseas for money's sake. And then I look at Solo and I say, this is the one where the effects team, top to bottom, like I've looked at the effects breakdowns online of like how they did the car chase and stuff like that. And it's still, I still watch it and it still blows my mind how good those effects were like, and it's, you know, to to speak to a a previous point when I was talking about black Panther effects, don't make a movie, but it doesn't hurt, you know, to have effects like this, uh, you know, forming your visual aesthetic or, or enhancing it as it were. So, yeah, I thought the the effects were really good too. I mean, the, the overall look I think is just great. You know, the photography of course is, is beautiful and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. 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 Well, there are our top tens. 
And uh, thank you for listening. And th- this is your first little taste of Great Shot Kid coming back into the world. Um, but again, we very much encourage you to go on over and check out Retro Perspective. Uh, the, the first part of the show, you know, if you're brand new to Retro Perspective, you'll hear uh, a recap of the Halloween series in anticipation of uh, Halloween 2018, which made my top 10 list. Um, where uh, me and Matt Hansen went through the, the entire Halloween series. But what you will hear on Retro Perspective now is Mike and me going through week by week uh, 1994 and looking at the films that came out then and examining what they meant then, what they mean now, and um, in some cases, did they mean anything? So uh, outside of that, though, Mike, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on... uh my website, uh, filmdamagepod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, where we talk about uh, film projection and various other things. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie. And you can find me here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with Matthew Rushing, and out there on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. Uh, But we look forward to uh, encountering you over on Retro Perspective on the Nerd Party. So thank you and keep tuned to this feed for some more exciting stuff on the way. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party.